Welcome to Prophecy Countdown with author and pastor Kenneth Baer. Join us every week for the latest updates on what the Bible has to say about the events, the characters, and prophetic signs of the return of Jesus Christ and His coming kingdom. Make sure you not only subscribe, but like your favorite episodes and share it with your friends. Now, on with the broadcast. Welcome to our 11 o'clock service. We're so glad that you're here. Um, we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew. We've been doing this book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We actually started back in September. September starting this, and we're now in chapter 9, so we're, we're going at a moderate pace. But the reason we do it book by book, cha chapter by chapter, verse by verse, is what's called expository preaching. I know I've mentioned that word a couple of times. There's other styles of preaching which are just equally as good. Uh, expository, the word we have in English is expose. And that's the objective of expository preaching, is to expose what the Word of God says. So, for example, next week is Father's Day, and we'll have Father's Day bulletins, and we'll say Happy Father's Day. We could do a topical sermon on all of the verses in the Bible that have to do with fathers, but we will choose instead to stick with expository preaching, and we're going to take the next chapter, the next verse, and see what the Lord has to say. Um, I do want to thank Pastor Hal and Gary that, that preached for us the last couple of weeks. They kept the, the, the sermons going and, and the Gospel of Matthew cranking along. Um, what they actually talked on is the context for what we are talking about today. Uh, the topic of my message today is what's called new wineskins. And we're in chapter 9, beginning in verse 14, going through 17. So we'll talk about new wineskins, but it's important to understand the context if you remember a couple weeks ago, uh, I think it was Pastor Hal talked about calling the disciples. And they had Matthew. Matthew was one of the last of the apostles, as far as we know, based on the Gospel of Matthew, to be called. And, and Matthew was unlike the disciples. Don't, the disciples were all different than the disciples of John the Baptist. They were nothing like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were kind of crusty fishermen, most of them. Uh, but Matthew was even more different because he was a, a tax collector. And tax collectors were hated by the Jews, and for good reason. They were kind of turncoats. They were representing the Roman occupation. And they collected taxes from the people. They gave to Caesar what was Caesar, and the rest they kept for themselves. So they became very, very wealthy. They were not, in, they were not invited to the temples. They were not invited to the synagogues. They had no friends. Uh, their family would often uh, disown them. If you've been watching the Chosen series, you see that with uh, the calling of Matthew. He's different. He dresses differently. He's wealthy. And, and even the disciples had trouble probably having Matthew as part of their group. They were different, but he was even more different. Uh, and, and, and the story of Matthew is, is interesting, uh, but the next story that Gary talked about uh, was the Jesus is passing by the paralytic, remember? He passes by the paralytic, and the man's laying on, the, on, this, on the floor. And Jesus passes by and he says, your sins are forgiven you. And of course, the Pharisees hear this and they say, no one but God can forgive sins. This man blasphemes, right? And, and the thing was is that many of the Old Testament prophets had healed. Healing was not that unusual. It was still miraculous, but it was not that unusual, not unheard of. If you go through the Old Testament, for example, all the way back in uh, the book of Exodus, we see Miriam. Uh, Miriam was the brother of, of Moses, and, and Miriam had leprosy, and Moses prayed for her, and she was, she was healed. Elijah, remember Elijah uh, was, was visiting with the widow, and her son had died, 
And so he went up to the second floor and he laid on the, on the, the young boy and the boy came back to life. Naaman, Naaman was a Syrian general, wasn't even a Jew. And, and, and Naaman was told by Elijah to go bathe in the Jordan River. And he didn't really want to do that, but he did, and he was healed of leprosy. A, a dead man, uh, after Elijah had died, a dead, man was thrown in, a dead man was thrown into the same grave that Elijah was there. The dead corpse touched the bones of Elijah, and the man came back to life. So you see, the thing is, is that it wouldn't be unusual that that somebody would be healed, even come back to life. But Jesus went one step further and he said, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees spoke correctly, no one but God can forgive sins. You see, and this is the thing, it's the love of God and the forgiveness of, of God and the mercy of God uh, takes Jesus to where nobody expected. There are many people that were expecting the Messiah, but, but remember, Jesus not only is doing these things, but he's also arranged for a number of, of unskilled and untrained men to be around him. Um, and we find out today that even the disciples of John the Baptist are, are wondering why these, these untrained men, these fishermen, don't even bother to, to fast. So we're picking up the story in Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 14. Again, the topic for today is new wineskins. The Gospel of Matthew says this, Then John's disciples, this is John the Baptist, came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unsung cloth, unsung cloth, unshunk, there you go, unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, and the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Now, remember I said I wanted to back up and make sure you understood the context. Remember we talked about Matthew, the tax collectors. Tax collectors, as I said, were despised by Jews. The families disowned them. Only, the only friends they had were outcasts. These were sinners. These were, um, these were the people that the rest of the Jews didn't want to, to, uh, uh, to associate with. And, and last week, or two weeks ago, this is verse 10, uh, this is what it said. It says, now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house, this is Matthew's house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? That's pretty much like what they're saying today, right? Why The disciples of, of John say, why don't your disciples fast? The Pharisees are telling Jesus, why are you sitting at the table with Matthew and all of these sinners? And Jesus says this, when Jesus heard this, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what it means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. You see, this is something that is so new. There had been prophets before, but nobody was quite like Jesus. Even the men that, that Jesus arranged to follow him, to, to, to have a three-year apprentice program with him, uh, that became the apostles of the Lamb, they were, they were different. Um, 
Now, and we understand why people don't want to associate with sinners, right? I mean, Jesus is associated not only with these tax collectors, but others that were immoral, most likely that had other designs than God's design for what a marriage was about. Uh, there were some probably at the table that were known to drink and drink and drink. I mean, that, that does happen. Some that had loose, loose morals. But Jesus told the people at Matthew's party, he said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, to this day, you as parents, as grandparents, when you look back to bringing up your children, you're probably a lot like my mom and dad and my wife and I as we brought up our children. You tried to make sure that your children associated with people of, of good report. You tried to keep them away from the, the rough crowd, right? My mother especially was very, very careful about the girls that I hung around with as if I was going, they were going to corrupt me. Ha! Huh. <laughs> <laughs> The girls had a bigger problem, <laughs> let me tell you. But see, here's the thing. Jesus was a bigger influence on the sinners than they were on him. You know, this goes back to, I remember when my daughter was about 15 years old. She, she, you know, she grew up in church. She was like a preacher's kid, you know, so she knew the scriptures. And she, in fact, she had won the junior Bible quiz, Bible championship quiz of Michigan, you know. She knew all the right answers. Now, to her credit, she also knew that half the answers were Jesus. So she knew that. But she won the quiz, and she was a, she was a church girl. And at 15 years old, she wanted to do some things that her mother and I didn't want her to do. And, and we said, no, you, you can't go to that party. You can't go to that dance. You can't do that. You know, that's, go to the church dance. Don't go there. And she said, no, Daddy, she said, you know, Jesus would be able to associate with the sinners and the tax collectors. <laughs> and I said, that's true, daughter, except Jesus was more of an influence on them than they were on him. You see, and she's not Jesus, and neither are you. Uh, if you recall, there was another tax collector. Remember another tax collector named Zacchaeus? In Luke chapter 9, uh, Zacchaeus was short. It says, oh, we know the song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up a sycamore tree to see what he could see. Remember that? The kids would sing that because that was Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus was a tax collector as well. And, and Jesus calls Zacchaeus. He says, Zacchaeus, come down and make haste, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when the people saw it, they all complained, saying, he has gone into be the guest with a, with a man who is a sinner. You see, Jesus associated with these sinners, but he didn't expect them to stay sinners. He had an influence on them. In fact, in that story in chapter 19 of Luke, it says this, Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, look, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I will restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he is also a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost." You see, Jesus is different. Not only did he associate with different people, but he had an influence on people that no one to that date or ever since has had. Jesus changes things. This changes everything. Well, and that's actually what this verse today, that what our four verses, our three verses are talking about today, that Jesus is changing 
everything. Again, remember the, the topic of my, to my uh, sermon today is new wineskins. And it starts off in verse 14. It says, the disciples of John ask a question. Why don't Jesus' disciples fast as they and the Pharisees do? Now notice who's asking the question. It's the, disciple, it's the disciples of John the Baptist. We're used to the Pharisees saying these types of things, the Sadducees saying these types of things, but these are the disciples of, of John the Baptist. The Pharisees would know fast often. That's what the Bible says. They were known for the practice of fasting. And we know by infer uh, inference that, that not only did they fast, but they often did it for the wrong motives. Uh, they, they would disfigure their faces so that the people would notice that they were fasting. It was, about, it was about the show. Remember, we talked about that a few weeks ago. It's not about the show. It's about your relationship with the Lord. And the disciples of John also fast. The Bible says that they ate locusts. Maybe that's why they fasted, okay? <laughs> Who wants to eat a locust? Uh, but the John the Baptist, here's a question for you. Was John the Baptist an Old Testament or a New Testament prophet? Be careful. It's a trick question. The reason it's a trick question is because John the Baptist, we see in the Gospel of Matthew, John the Baptist is in the New Testament, but he's ministering to the people as an Old Testament prophet. Jesus says, "If all, I tell you the truth, that all of the men born of women, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. But I tell you this, I tell you this, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. You see, Jesus was going to be doing something new. Jesus was introducing something new, and John the Baptist was the old guard. The Old Guard was based on fasting and prayer. The Old Testament was based on what? Based on the law, the temple, and sacrifice. But Jesus says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You see, something is changing. This teaching, by the way, is not about fasting. It's about the new wineskins. Jesus is going to share some principles about the new. The principle number one is there's a new sheriff in town. Things are going to be different from now on. Jesus was that different. He was not only the Messiah, but he was bringing something new. Jesus says this, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The New Testament has a number of analogies about the bride, the bridegroom, and weddings. We see this often. In fact, it goes all the way back to the Old Testament, and I'll show you some of those as well. But let me read you this, this passage again on the new wineskins, because this is really where the point of the topic is today. Jesus says this. He says, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. Now, most of us, especially me, I don't have a lot of experience with wineskins. Do you? I mean, I really don't. Back when I was in college, I remember we were going to some fraternity event and they gave us all these little plastic flasks, you know, that you could put wine or beer or whatever in it or grape juice, whatever you wanted. It was probably beer. But anyway, um, it wasn't new. It was just a plastic thing. I don't have a lot of experience with wineskins. When Jesus turned water into wine, where was that wine? It was in stone jars. It wasn't in wineskins. You see, a wineskin is for personal use. Keep that in mind. A wineskin is for personal use. And Jesus says you don't put new wine into old wineskins for personal you don't do that because it will break 
Now again, this whole idea of a new wine exploding and bursting it, we don't understand, but we certainly understand pre-shrunk clothes, right? We understand what it means to go, go, go to, you know, go to Marshall Fields or go to some nice store and, and you buy something, whether it's a size 8 or a size 12 or size 16 or size 42 or whatever it is, you take it and you put it in the washer or dryer, right? And it comes out of size 4, right? <laughs> yeah. You buy something that's extra large, goes into the washer and dryer, it comes out of small, right? There's a number of things that I've bought on vacation that I give to my grandchildren, right? Because they get shrunk. And actually, you can buy things now in the store that say pre-shrunk. Pre-shrunk, which means it's not going to shrink a lot. So we understand this, this concept that if I had something that was already shrunk and I was going to put a patch on it, as if I knew how to do that, put a patch on it with a new piece of cloth and that cloth would shrink, it would tear the old cloth. And this is what Jesus is saying about the new wine. You see, new wine, the reference to new wine means that it isn't fully fermented. See, wine would ferment, and it would start fermenting as it was being processed. It would be would stomped, put into barrels, it would start to ferment, and as it was still in the fermentation process, it would be put into barrels or into a flask. If it was put into a wineskin, it would continue to ferment, and fermentation gives off bubbles. David's up here, he's the chemist, he could tell us all about that, but, but it, gives off, it gives off bubbles, it gives off a gas, and the gas would burst the wineskin. So Jesus is saying, no, this is, this is new wine, this is new wine, and it goes into new wineskins. The concept of new wine is actually prophetic. It's speaking of what we experience today in the new covenant. So for example, in Amos, this goes back almost 800 years before Jesus, Amos says this, he says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all of the hills. This is a prophetic utterance that there's something that's coming. It's going to be so spectacular that you can't even plow fast enough. You can't plow because you can't plant because the plow is right behind it. And right after that, the harvest is coming. It's all new wine. In Deuteronomy chapter 33, this goes back to the time of Moses, it says this, it says, So Israel will live in safety. Jacob will dwell secure in a land of grain and new wine where the heavens drop dew. You see, Jesus says he's introducing something new. It's not only new wine, but you need new wineskins as well. He says um, he desires mercy and not sacrifice. And remember, what was the Old Testament based on? It was based on the law. It was based on sacrifice. But Jesus is saying, I desire something different. His disciples are also different. Uh, they're common, ordinary men. And aren't you glad? They're not, they didn't go to Pharisee school. They didn't, they didn't learn the Torah. They didn't learn how to memorize all this backwards and forwards. Don't get me wrong. They were holy men and they loved God. But they needed an apprentice program because they still smelled like fish. I mean, these were just ordinary men. They, they had not been trained. Uh, and this is the new wine that goes in. It goes into what new wineskins? And who are the new wineskins? It's the apostles were the new wineskins. And by inference, you're the new wineskins. It's for personal use. The new wine goes into a new wineskin. You see, when you're born again by the Spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. He enters you and he quickens you. 
And you become a new creation. That's what the Bible says. You become something that didn't exist before. And you're the container for this. The Bible says that, the Apostle Paul says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? This is the new wine. It's been, it was dripping on the, on the hills of Israel. And it was just a representation of what was going to happen when Jesus shows up. So in the time I have left, I have a few minutes, I want to tackle Jesus' comment about being the, the bridegroom. Now, in, in John chapter 14, Jesus says something that's, that's very significant. And I'm going to tell you with a little context of what, when he says this. But let me read it to you first. Jesus says this. He says, let your heart not be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So it's John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. So what's the context here? Well, in John 14, what's happened up to this point, and Jesus is having his last supper. Jesus just says, I'm, I desire to share this Passover with you. He calls the apostles together. He takes off his outer tunic. He wraps a towel around his waist, and he washes his apostles' feet. Peter objects, as Peter normally would, right? And Peter says, oh, he can't do that. Well, they have a little discussion, and Jesus straightens them out, and they all sit down to, to eat. During the Last Supper, the thing that we just celebrated with communion, um, Jesus hears from um, Jesus tells them, one of you will betray me. And we know that that ends up being Jesus. Jesus ends up turning to Jesus and he says, whatever you have to do, go do it quickly. And Judas leaves. They still don't have the idea why Judas is actually leaving. But afterwards, he's walking out with them and he says this. He says, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And I, as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So the, the apostles are understanding. Jesus has told them before that he's going to actually die on the cross. They try to stop him. Heaven be it, Lord. No, it's going to happen. Peter, by the way, jumps in again and says, I'll never betray you. I'll never betray you. Well, that didn't work out too well for Peter either, right? But this is the context, and it's during this context that Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's home are many mansions, many dwelling places. I go to prepare a place for you, and I will return and receive you unto myself. Now remember, I told you that the, the New Testament as well as the Old Testament often speaks in this analogy, this symbol, this, this story of, of a wedding. The Jewish, the, the apostles coming from Nazareth knew exactly what Jesus was talking about because this is the story of what happens when a young man and a woman get engaged. The young man, the bridegroom, goes back to his father's house and builds onto his father's house so that there's room for him and the bride. Eventually he comes back, the bridegroom cometh, takes the bride back to the father's house, the wedding feast is held, and they go into the house. That's the idea. When we moved down to Mexico, I was surprised because we would go through a middle-class neighborhood and it looked like the houses were not quite done. There was rebar sticking out of the roofs 
of these houses. You saw it in the Morocco. You see it in many places in the Third World country. And, he's, and I said, what is with this rebar that's still sticking out of the house? And they say, you have to understand that these families, these families, when the son gets married, they will build onto the house a dwelling place for the, for the bride. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about. I go to prepare a place for you, and I will return and come to you. You know, Jesus, right after this, if you take a look at the gospel account, he gives a couple other parables, a couple other parables. One of the parables is the wedding feast. Remember the story of the, the parable of the wedding feast? A, a man is going to have a wedding feast, and he invites all the different people, and they have to come in, and the, the place is still not full. So he says, go, and go out to the byways and the highways and bring those people, those tax collectors, those sinners, those undesirables, bring them into the house so that my house will be, be full. Then there's another story right after that of the ten virgins. You know that story? The ten virgins, and they're waiting for the bridegroom to come. They're waiting for the Lord to return. They're waiting for the shout to come out, and the bridegroom cometh, Right? Five of them have oil. What is the oil representative? Well, oil represents the Holy Spirit, right? It's like the new wine. Five of them are believers. Five of them know why they're waiting. They're, they're anticipating the Lord's coming. The others are outside. And they, they try to go get some wine, but by this time the bridegroom comes and they knock on the door. And the Lord says, I, depart, I, I, I never knew you. You see, this, this example of the bridegroom and the bride and the wedding feast, this is, this is, this is central to our understanding of who we are as the, of the body of Christ, of exactly who you are, who you are as new wine skills full of the new wine, which is nothing more than the, the Holy Spirit. Here's the bottom line. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for his bride, and that bride is the body of Christ. Many people say he's coming back for the church, and that's a, that's a fine illustration, except the problem is there's a lot of people that go to church, right? I mean, there's a lot of people that show up in church every now and then, but going to church isn't going to turn you into a member of the body of Christ. That has to do with a relationship with Jesus Christ. That has to do with understanding that we need to repent from our sins. We need to accept what Jesus did on the cross. It's not something that we can do. It's something that Jesus has already done for us. That's why Jesus turned to the man that was the paralytic and he said, your sins are forgiven you. What did the man do to deserve that? Nothing. He did nothing. It wasn't through sacrifice. It wasn't through temples. It wasn't through prayers. It wasn't anything that he did. Jesus just turned to him and said, your sins are forgiven. See, this is the example that Jesus is giving us with uh, new wine. New wine has to go into new wineskins. The apostle Paul describes the coming of the Lord. Jesus is coming back. We don't know the day or the hour, but Jesus is coming back. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 18, Paul says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with, the Lord, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, here's the thing. This verse, this and also the companion verse, which is in 1 uh, Corinthians, I don't care what you call this. You can call this the rapture. You can call this the catching away. You can call this the second coming. You can call this whatever you like. But this is the gospel. 
This is our common destiny. We which are alive and remain will be caught up together with those that have preceded us. If you're looking for a reunion with your relatives, with your grandmother, your grandfather, your great-grandfather, your aunt, your uncle that died in World War II, that died in World War I, this is the reunion. It's in the clouds. Jesus is coming back for his, his bride. This is, by the way, right after this, if you, if you want to read Revelation chapter 19, is what happens is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Again, the symbolism of, of, of a bride, a bridegroom, and the marriage between the body of Christ and God is all through the New Testament. We are the new wineskins. We are the people of the new covenant. We're not based on the laws and the regulations, but based on the grace and the mercy of God. Aren't you glad? Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you, Lord, for who you are. Every day, it's common to see, read, or hear something about the end of the world, the apocalypse, or end times. Author and pastor Kenneth Bear's The Apocalypse and Coming Kingdom zooms in and breaks down biblical prophecy as it relates to Jesus' imminent return and the coming seven-year period, including the Great Tribulation. Available in both paperback and Kindle versions. Get your copy on Amazon or at Barnes & Noble and select Christian bookstores. The title again is The Apocalypse and Coming Kingdom. You can also find it listed by author Kenneth Bear. Get your copy today. Thank you for joining us on Prophecy Countdown with Pastor Ken Bear. Don't leave without first sharing the latest episode with your friends. Be sure to join us again for the latest updates on Prophecy Countdown.